Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we continued our examination of the defense's opening statement, during which defense attorney Mark Richards sought to place the jurors in the shoes of Kyle Rittenhouse during the moments leading up to his shooting and killing of Joseph Rosenbaum. On today's episode, we present the conclusion of the defense's opening statement, in which Richards guides the jury through the events culminating in Rittenhouse's subsequent shootings of Anthony Huber and Gage Grosskreutz. That's coming up right after the break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. As we left Mark Richards' opening statement, he was guiding the jury through Kyle Rittenhouse's actions after he shot Joseph Rosenbaum. Richards next uses video evidence to follow Rittenhouse's steps as he tries to flee the volatile environment of the Sheridan Road protesters and make his way north towards police lines. The evidence will show this next video taken from Gage Grosquitz. He runs up to Kyle. At this point, he is unarmed. Kyle does not point a firearm at him, does not do anything to dissuade him from approaching him. You'll hear on the video the exchange, and you'll see it. Hey, 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 hey what are you doing? You shot somebody? Who shot? Who shot? Hey, stop him! Richards uses the video as a tool to persuade the jury that contrary to the prosecutor's argument that Kyle Rittenhouse was seeking confrontation with other protesters, Rittenhouse instead was exercising great restraint in carrying his weapon up Sheridan Road after the shooting of Joseph Rosenbaum. Richards takes care to describe for the jurors how Rittenhouse manifested that restraint. You see him running the gun at the ground away from Mr. Grosswitz. Mr. Grosswitz came up on Kyle got very close. Did Kyle point a firearm at him? Did Kyle shoot at him? No. All he wanted to do was get to the police. But the mob is closing in, of which Mr. Grosskowitz is a member. Here, Richards pivots back to planting in the minds of the jurors another series of events that, he argues, led Kyle Rittenhouse to be in reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm. First individual runs up behind Kyle, and hits him in the head with his hand or a hand with a rock in it. This yellow circle shows Kyle being knocked a bit askew. More importantly, his hat being knocked off. He's run all this distance. His hat stayed on his head. Government doesn't want anyone to think that he's being attacked or hit. This still photograph shows that his hat is being knocked off. That's the first 
blow to Mr. Rittenhouse. He continues to run. The testimony will show that these individuals are running up on him. What's important in this photograph, the evidence will see, show, is on the left, the testimony will be that Mr. Huber is picking up his skateboard. Why is his skateboard on the ground? Because he has taken his skateboard and swung it at Kyle Rittenhouse's head for the first time, hitting him in the head. And you can see in the blue circle, Kyle Rittenhouse beginning to fall down. The two red marks are one, the individual who struck him first, and jump kick man closing in. Kyle goes to the ground. This is a still photo from a video you'll see. What's important here, the evidence will show, it's an individual. Kyle's on the ground within two feet. Kyle points the firearm at him, does not fire. The individual backs up. He's no longer a threat. Kyle does not discharge his firearm. The next picture, the unidentified complaining witness, jump kick man, kicking Kyle in the face. Behind jump kick man is Huber. Now he's picked up his skateboard. This is a photograph from a different angle, a different individual. And you see him running in Kyle's direction. There's the boots right before contact. Those are the boots that struck Kyle Rittenhouse in the face. Here is the photograph. Mr. Huber's bare hand on the skateboard, holding the trucks, bringing it into contact with the back of Kyle Rittenhouse's head. Jump kick man still has not even gotten completely on the ground. And where is Mr. Huber's hand? And it's important here, ladies and gentlemen, it's a bare hand grabbing his gun. The state will produce evidence, I believe, that there's no DNA on the gun. He must not have touched it. Ladies and gentlemen, there's video photographic evidence of him touching the gun. As Abby Smith and I discussed in our recap conversation last week, Mark Richards is very skillfully seeking to dehumanize, in the eyes of the jury, the individuals who are seeking to disarm Kyle Rittenhouse by using names like Jump Kick Man or referring to anonymous and disembodied hands striking Rittenhouse or describing Anthony Huber's skateboard as a lethal weapon. Richards allows the panelists to experience the terror that he argues Kyle Rittenhouse must have felt. Next, bare hand pulling the gun towards him. Jump kick man getting up to run away. You can see a close-up, bare hand on the gun. Kyle Rittenhouse flat on his back in the most vulnerable position one can be in. There, the strap is pulled tight. Mr. Huber's trying to pull the gun away from Kyle Rittenhouse as he's laying flat on his back. Kyle's afraid he's going to be disarmed and shot with his own weapon, the evidence will show. He fires one shot, striking Mr. Huber. The sleight of hand that Mark Richards employs here is subtle but critical. He uses the terror suggested by the chaotic video and his supporting narrative to make an assumption for the jurors. Richards assumes that it was reasonable for Kyle Rittenhouse to believe that if Anthony Huber succeeded in taking his semi-automatic rifle, that his intent was in fact to use the weapon to kill Rittenhouse. In any event, Richards does not linger on Anthony Huber's death. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mark Richards next moves on to the third person shot by Kyle Rittenhouse. The gun is in the circle. It hasn't got directly to pointing at Kyle's head, but it's going there. Kyle fires once, hitting him. Another individual approaches after Gage Grosswitz has been shot, puts his hands up. Kyle Rittenhouse does nothing. In that event, in event number two, the whole event from first shot with Mr. Grosswitz, excuse me, jump kick man, coming in and getting the two shots to the time Gage Grosquitz shot in the arm is about five seconds. You'll have exact times of those shots, how fast it occurs. Richards then goes to another piece of evidence, which he uses to reinforce his argument that the state has understated and underplayed Kyle Rittenhouse's legitimate and reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm. And after the shooting that evening, Mr. Grosquitz was interviewed. He told law enforcement his story of that evening. The one interesting detail he forgot to mention was that he was armed when he got shot. He told the police that he had lost his gun as he was running down Sheridan Avenue. He didn't know that there were people out there like him videotaping and photographing everything. He had a gun in his hand, and that's why he shot. His statement says that the reason he went into the fray was because he had to stop Anthony Huber from beating Kyle with the skateboard. As we get into the trial, we will return to this pivotal piece of evidence regarding this witness who was critical to the state's case. Richards continues to take the jurors through Rittenhouse's escape to behind police lines. At 11.51, Kyle has gotten up. There are individuals around who are in that area, come at him, he's pointed his firearm, backs them off, and he continu- continues in a northerly direction down Sheridan Road to 60th. Richards then plays video of the aftermath of the shootings of Huber and Grosskreutz. In the audio, you can hear someone shouting, he just shot them. Dude just shot them. In the video, Rittenhouse approaches a line of three police cars with his hands raised above his head. Occasionally, he reaches down to readjust the weapon strapped to his chest. Richards then wraps up for the jury his narrative of Kyle Rittenhouse's actions that night. You see Kyle, with his hands up, approach the police car to turn himself in. 
the evidence will show that the police told him to get away from the car and go home. The police say that they peppered sprayed Kyle. Kyle didn't get hit with the pepper spray. He's not disputing that they might have shot pepper spray at him. That's why he backed up so quickly. Finally makes his way to Car Source 2 back at 59th. Meets up with Dominic Black, the individual who sent him down to Car Source 3. Tells him about what had happened. Dominic Black, I believe, will testify that he saw him. He was white as a ghost, sweating like a pig, and he was explaining what happened, saying he had to do it. It was self-defense. They talk about going home to Antioch. Dominic Black takes him home. They leave about 10 to 12. And at 1.20, Kyle Rittenhouse and his mother are walking into the Antioch Police Department, turning themselves in to the police, which is what he wanted to do here in Kenosha. But the way Kenosha was that night, with the police department surrounded by fence and things like that, he couldn't. He turned himself into law enforcement. He said from that day what he did. He's made no bones about that. He acted in self-defense, ladies and gentlemen. The evidence will show that his actions on August 25th of 2020 were reasonable under the circumstances as they existed that night being attacked by Mr. Rosenbaum. The evidence will show, and the law is clear, he didn't endanger those other individuals. The government can refer to him all they wish as an active shooter. The only person he had shot was Joseph Rosenbaum, who had made threats to kill, had made numerous statements about ripping people's hearts out. He wasn't afraid to go back to jail. And Nathan DeBroom will testify some of the actions of Mr. Rosenbaum that night. And he'll testify, and it was one of the more telling statements, I thought, in a statement. If there was trouble that night, Joseph Rosenbaum was there. And that's ultimately who visited himself upon Kyle Rittenhouse. The evidence will show he thought, probably, that he could get that gun from Kyle Rittenhouse. He was wrong. Kyle Rittenhouse protected himself, protected his firearm so it couldn't be taken, used against him or other people from Mr. Rosenbaum who'd made threats to kill. And the other individuals who didn't see that shooting attacked him in the street like an animal. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what the evidence will show. Thank you. Richard's final reference to the individuals who tried to take away Kyle Rittenhouse's weapon further dehumanizes them. He says they attacked Rittenhouse like a street animal, inferring that their mission was to exterminate him and neglecting the possibility that their aim was simply to disarm him. In our recap at the end of the week, we will be sure to revisit Richard's technique and manner of placing the jurors in his client's shoes on the night of August 25th, particularly his tactics of subtly dehumanizing the threats to Kyle Rittenhouse. But for now, that concludes this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us in our next episode as we hear from the prosecution's first witness in the trial, Dominic Black, the friend of Kyle Rittenhouse who purchased the gun for him and traveled with him to downtown Kenosha on the night of the shootings. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. You can find more information about this trial at CrimeStory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. This episode was written by Amalia Mathewson. It was co-produced by Chris Terracone and Aaron Karenik. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. The episode was edited by Chris Terracone. Music for the episode was provided by Strike Audio, and Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.